Quad Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to Free Casino Games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you with the Summer Series edition of the podcast as we get you up to date on what's happening around the Vancouver Canucks. Not a whole lot of news, J-Pat. Recent news that is uh, a little bit trickling out. But uh, our last podcast, right after we did it, there was some news. The Canucks signed uh, Nils Hoaglander to a two-year contract at 1.1 million AAV. So Hoaglander wrapped up two years by the Canucks. Yeah, and for people that have been with us through the hockey season, obviously we're slowing things down here in the summer months, the July and August, so one a week. And you know that allowed a guy like me to sneak away for a week. And I'm glad that there wasn't a whole lot going on. But you got to get your vacay in somehow, some way. So there is going to be some backtracking, obviously, a little bit uh, as we sort of, you know, consolidate all of the Canuck material that we have to work with. And you're right, we haven't done a pod since uh, they got Hoaglander to sign. And, I, you know, a two-year deal, this has the potential to be a value contract for the Vancouver Canucks if he can come anywhere close to the player that he was as a rookie. And I, I like this. Like, he could have accepted his qualifying offer and bet on himself and had a big season and gone right back in to negotiation a year ago. But the fact that they got him... Uh, for two years, like if he has a breakout year, then good on him and good for the hockey club. But even better, probably a year from now, uh, especially when that's going to be the first year of Elias Pettersson's contract extension. That's going to be the first year of an extension for Philip Ronick. Like every dollar is going to matter, even if the cap goes up. So uh, the potential is there, but it all tracks back to what can Nils Hoaglander do to land himself regular employment in the lineup, like not just on the roster. But can he be one of the 12 forwards for the Vancouver Canucks? And we know that they've got this glut of wingers. He played 45 games, I think it was, down in the American Hockey League at 32 points. And then a oh, point of game guy in the six playoff games. But he hasn't played for Rick Tockett yet. So, you know, this is really going to be the old big summer that we've spent so much time talking about and having some fun with. But Hoaglander's in that group. Like, he has to hit the ground running on day one of training camp and do what he did in his very first training camp, which was that COVID-shortened season, the All-Canadian Division, where you know he arrived here just like days after his 20th birthday. He was so young, and he had played over in Sweden, so he had a little bit of pedigree and, and professional experience. But you know, this guy, he lapped the contenders in that first training camp, like Zach McEwen and Jake Furtanen and some of those other guys that you know, had experience, were higher on the depth chart, and this guy just came in and didn't lose a board battle in training camp, and he was a half a point a game player that first season. That was that 56-game season. You know, basically half a point a game as a 20-year-old in the National Hockey League. Now, it was weird circumstances with nobody in the stands and limited travel and limited opponents and all those types of things. Whatever the case, he played with Horvat and Pearson, and he was really good. And I think 26 of his 27 points that first season came at even strength. And when I went back and I looked at it, like, JT Miller and Bo Horvat had one more even strength point than Nils Hoaglander did in his rookie season. So, you know, five on five scoring was terrific. And then, you know, the second year, now there's full travel. Now you're playing every team. You're playing 82 games. Like, it's a grind. And really, his second year was like his rookie season. And I think that uh, he kind of hit a bit of a rookie wall in year two, wasn't nearly as good, and then got hurt at the end. They had to shut him down. And then we know what happened last year. And I, you and I, we established on an earlier pod, like, we were both surprised that he, he actually logged 25 games for the Vancouver Canucks last season. Certainly didn't feel like that 
Uh, but he did play 25 games at the NHL level, pretty ineffective. And, you know, you think of all that he's gone through as a relatively young guy, played for Travis Green, played for Bruce Boudreaux, hasn't had a chance to play for Rick Tockett yet, played for Jeremy Colleton. I think that's just a lot of voices. It's, you know, yeah, the the organization maybe trying to come up with a system that allows guys to move back and forth from the farm and all that kind of stuff. But every coach is a different voice, you know, their own ideas. And it's just, I think, a lot for a young player to process. Uh, so, you know, I'm excited. I, I think for Hoaglander, it's an opportunity. We know there's this logjam of wingers there. Uh, I just hope that he hits the ground running, takes this on as a challenge, challenge channels, you know, whatever frustration, and I'm sure there was some, of being sent down to the minors last year. And let's see what he looks like when training camp rolls around. What's the Canucks' bottom six going to be in terms of the, its production? Because if you look at it right now, let's say Teddy Bluger is your third-line center. There's not a whole lot of offense from Bluger. And, of course, he's you know a special teams guy, likes to kill penalties. So you do have Connor Garland. You do have Nils Hoaglander. You do have Vasily Podkolzin. And who knows? You might even have Tanner Pearson there as well in terms of you know some offense that can be there in your bottom six of your forward group but really like where's the defense there and you know you're going to need someone like Dakota Joshua probably in the lineup maybe PDG gets in in over Pod Colson Hoaglander maybe even Pearson but like what is this bottom six gonna be because to me it looks like you got a bit of offensive you know talent down there a little bit of defense but it's really not enough on both sides to be, you know, something that's going to be, you know, a strength of the Canucks. Right. I, I, in my mind, I'd like to see Nils Amon at center, Dakota Joshua on one side, Phil Giuseppe on the other as your fourth line. Like, to me, that would be your fourth line. Then you're just kind of throwing your chips in the middle here and having battles through training camp in the preseason about what happens sort of in that middle six. I think we all know that JT Miller is going to be the second-line center. Uh, I would assume that you've got Brock Besser starting with him if Besser is still here. And, you know, then you it's fair to ask, like, you know, is Mikheyev, is it going to be Beauvillier? Like, but then the trickle-down from there, the candidates that you just mentioned, Pod Coles and Hoagland or Garland, like all those guys... Um, and it's a question of, you know, how does Rick Tockett want to go about making his team? What's he looking for from that third line? If that fourth line could be a defensive posture, but we know that Nils Amon has struggled uh, mightily in the faceoff circle and got outscored pretty badly at even strength last year. So hopefully, you know, takes all that he learned, comes back and addresses some of those areas of his game. And, and then obviously, yeah, I mean, third line center, Teddy Bluger, but... I'm certainly not expecting a lot of offense. I know Patrick Alvin figured that there was more to give there. Some of that's going to be who does he play with, right? Like, you know, if he had a finisher, then yeah, maybe he'd pick up a few more assists. But we know that Connor Garland has struggled to score goals uh, in his two years as a Canuck. hasn't got to the 20-goal mark. Pod Colson as a rookie looked good and then took a big step back. And then, you know, big question mark around a guy like Hoaglander. So... Like I, I legitimately think that there are jobs up for grabs at this training camp. And also, uh, it's hard to sort of slot players right here, right now. Um, but, you know, whether it is Garland and Bluger and one of Hoaglander or Pod Colson, like, I'm not sure what the identity of that line is necessarily. And as we've said, like Connor Garland, you know, just a different player and, and has yet to sort of find that 
chemistry that you'd like to think that he could have with somebody, with anybody, with one of his centers, but a bit of a freelancer, a bit of a, a unique artist, uh, if you will. And so we'll see how that, if he and Treddy Bluger play together, I mean, that's going to, you know, now Bluger's going to have to figure out how to best play with a guy like Connor Garland and, you know, get used to the spins and the shots from all sorts of angles and carrying the puck and who's going to do it and who should do it and all those types of things. So, yeah, lots of question marks still around the Vancouver Canucks and the way that ultimately this team is going to be shaped for next season. Yeah, there's uh, just a... It just seems to be a lot of forwards that just don't mix together. It's not the the right ingredients, if you will. But we'll see how it shakes out uh, with the Canucks. Again, I I, I like the Bluger addition in terms of you know what he's going to bring for their PK. I just don't think they did enough to sort of address any sort of offense on a, on a third line right now, especially down the middle. But we'll see. They might not be done at this point either. And, you know, maybe there is a, some sort of trade that could perhaps uh, get one of these wingers uh, out and maybe a, a better offensive center in. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, Derek Clancy's out, though. He's leaving the Canucks. Uh, assistant general manager with the Canucks is now leaving uh, to Toronto. He's going to be the fifth AGM in Toronto. And just two here in Vancouver now. Uh, Dollywall reporting that uh, the plan is to not replace uh, Clancy, and they're just going to go ahead uh, with the two AGM system that they have right now. But uh, Derek Clancy leaving the team up. Seems like a bit of a surprise, no? Yeah, I, I certainly hadn't heard rumblings of this. Look, I, I'm not sure that we know the whole story yet. Uh, I was on a flight home uh, when I landed to, you know, turn on my phone, get a bunch of caught up on my emails and things. Oh, Derek Clancy's gone. Well, uh, sort of, you know, reading through, you know, it feels like a lateral move. And generally, you don't see those in hockey. In fact, teams are sort of expected to promote guys if they're going to take management personnel from one team and, and give them a job somewhere else, you know, not unheard of. We see movement around the National Hockey League. But look, if Derek Clancy was thrilled with the job that he had in Vancouver, I don't think he would have been looking around. So it does make you wonder whether it was more money or more of an opportunity or, uh, again, if this was, uh, you know, some sort of personnel uh, decision on his part. Now, he had worked with Brad Tree living briefly in Calgary so you connect those dots, but he was also the first person hired in this front office by Jim Rutherford when Rutherford took on the president of Hockey Ops, and he had worked with Rutherford quite closely in Pittsburgh for all those years, and Alvin as well. So, you know, there were strong connections here. He was part of that uh, Pittsburgh posse that, that made its way to Vancouver, and after, what, 18 months, he's gone. So, uh, again, I, I think that uh, hopefully, you know, the truth will come to light at some point. Uh, he's landed himself on a you know, obviously a good organization that's closer to winning the Stanley Cup than the Canucks are right now. So I don't know if uh, it, it boiled down to that, that, you know, he didn't like the direction the Canucks were going or maybe felt that there was just too much work ahead. Uh, whatever the case, again, I and this is just me looking and, and sort of reading the writing on the wall, that if he was absolutely thrilled with the job that he had in Vancouver, I don't think he would have left. So I, I do wonder a little bit. I also found it, a little interesting that, you know, Jim Rutherford, when they hired Rick Tockett, told us all that that's it. He stopped talking. He's, you know, not doing the media thing anymore. And then, like, hours after the Clancy announcement, Rutherford issues a statement through the Canucks PR department, which I just thought was curious. And he called it good news for both the Leafs and the Canucks. Well, the Leafs got their guy, so I can understand why they think it was good news. I, I'm not 
quite sure how I take that, that it's good news for the Canucks, but that line jumped off the press release, and Rutherford said that they weren't planning to replace him now, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, they push forward with Jim Rutherford as the president of Hockey Ops, Patrick Elliott as the GM, Emily Castengay, Cammie Granato. Uh, Rutherford mentioned Scott Young, another Pittsburgh guy. You know, he's the director of player personnel. But uh, Derek Clancy just seemed like, a, you know, a guy that had a great hockey reputation. Um, we had remarked over his time here that, you know, pro scouting seemed to have improved uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, and they had gone out and found some players, uh, Nils Amon, among others, that, uh, you know, that was the result of some pro scouting. You know, can I sit here and say that, you know, this is a massive loss? No, because again, there is turnover uh, in management in hockey, but, you know, it's the first kind of sign, I suppose, that, you know, this group that was assembled under Jim Rutherford maybe isn't in lockstep or... Uh, you know, starting to look around and look for other opportunities. And obviously, Derek Clancy found one. And uh, we'll see how things work for him uh, with Brad Tree living in Calgary. Yeah, you're right, too. I mean, this is a guy that basically spent the majority of his career in a scouting capacity and then gets an AGM position for the first time in Vancouver and then right away goes to Toronto. So maybe we're looking a little too deep into it. But at the same time, too, it does seem uh, a little questionable that uh, you would just be here for one year and then pack up his bags and head over in, in what is a lateral move, like you mentioned, uh, to the Toronto Maple Leafs. No Canucks in the Athletics' top 50 NHL prospects list that was put together by Scott Wheeler, who is a prospect uh, reporter over at the Athletic. Does that? It doesn't really surprise me, J-Pat, but it does at the same time when it's 50 NHL prospects. We know the Canucks don't have a whole lot of blue-chip guys, but you'd think that LeCaramacchi or Lander, their first-round pick this year, uh, would be able to crack that top 50, but it's, uh, what, under 23 players and guys that basically haven't... Uh, you know, fully got into the NHL just yet is what the list is based on by Scott Wheeler. Right. And not shocked, but I guess a a little disappointed that they didn't have one in the top 50. But anybody that has followed this Canuck team for the last little while uh, understands when you trade away first round picks the way that the Canucks have in the JT Miller deal, uh, in the Connor Garland OEL deal, and most recently the Philip Ronick deal in the first rounder that they got from the Islanders, you know, I mean, those are three key pieces. But beyond that, there's two second rounders that they have traded away in that time span as well. And so that's where you find elite talent. That's where, you know, if I went through that list, most of those players would be first or second rounders. Um, so I'm not shocked. But yeah, I mean, there's 32 teams and this is a list of 50. So that tells you that you're almost gone, you know, two prospects per team. And the Canucks still don't have anybody Uh now, the good news is, uh, a year from now, I want to believe that whether it's Willander, whether it is uh, Karamaki, as you said, Aturatu, uh, one of those players will be in the top 50 at the very least. If they're not, a year from now, uh, that's concerning. Like, I want to believe that this is bottoming out in this regard in terms of, you know, we've been saying it for a while, that the pipeline's pretty pretty empty, that they're just, you know, young talent, not there. Explain the reasons why for some of it. But now that you have added some pieces, uh, it's time. It's go time. And, and so hopefully when next year's top 50 prospects come out, uh, there will be a Canuck or two. And then for the years to come, hopefully they'll add to their stable and continue to develop some young players because they're going to need them. And, uh, you know, that, that doesn't just because Willander and LeCaramacchi didn't make this list. That doesn't mean that they're busts or that they won't pan out. It's just that right now at this stage, 
Uh, Scott Wheeler saw 50 players that he felt you know, deserve to be on the list ahead of those Canuck players. And he talks about it in the article here as well. It says the Canucks uh, are one of nine teams that don't have a prospect on this list, but Willander and LeCaramacchi were among the final cuts uh, at their positions. The other teams that don't have prospects on this list, and tell me if they have anything in common here, Panthers, Senators, Golden Knights, Bruins, Lightning, Avalanche, Maple Leafs, Islanders. There's one team there that the Canucks are, uh, you know, have familiarity with and that's the Ottawa Senators the rest well they're in their wheelhouse right now when right. it comes to uh, being Stanley Cup contenders so not a good look but you're right if you you know look at this list uh, next year you'd think that the Canucks will have some representation on there um obviously Connor Bedard is is number one on that list and there's some names that sort of uh, stand out to me in terms of where they're slotted one of them is Zach Benson J-Pat who is a local product obviously and someone that the Canucks could have drafted He's at 12th on this list right now. And, of course, the 13th overall pick uh, in the 2023 NHL draft. Now, the Canucks are in need of a, a right shot in, uh, at, uh, defenseman, and that's what they ultimately drafted. But I thought that was quite interesting to see a name like Zach Benson at 12th on this list. Right, and he's going to be linked to the Canucks, obviously, because, as you said, he was there when they took Willander. Uh, I, I guess the surprise for me is that he's 12th. Coming out of this year's draft class, Lekaramaki was the 15th overall pick a year ago. He doesn't even crack the top 50. So Benson's going to be fascinating. There's the local angle and the fact that he was on the board when the Canucks drafted at 11th in Nashville. And so I think uh, Tyler, Tyler Benson, uh, Zach Benson's going to be linked to the Vancouver Canucks. Tyler Benson was linked to the Canucks because he played for the Vancouver Giants for all those years. But yeah, I mean, people are going to watch. And, and as we've said, he landed in a great spot in Buffalo. Like, that's a team that's on the move. They love to score up-tempo offense, and that's going to fit right in his wheelhouse. So uh, it's a little bit apples and oranges in that regard that, uh, you know, I think he's landed himself in a great spot at the Sabres, but the Canucks needed that right shot defenseman. And so, again, I'm not backtracking. I, I still think Willander uh, was a good decision for the Canucks. And now let's see how he pans out. Well, I'm glad you mentioned apples and oranges there because, of course, our new partner, the Applewood Auto Group. Perhaps you're looking to draft yourself a new car. Well, check them out at applewood.ca because, J-Pad, it's all good. At Applewood. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. So, of course, this being the off-season, we're throwing out some poll questions on our Twitter account, at RinkWideVan. If you're not following us, uh, head over to Twitter and give us a follow. We asked the people, this is a couple days ago now, how many 20-goal scorers will be on the Canucks next year? Now, they had four last year, Jay Patton. Of course, Bo Horvat was one of them, and he moved on to Long Island. 
the people voted oh, just over 2,000 votes or uh, 1,200 votes, that is, uh, came in. How many do you think the people picked for next year? I'm going to say the people are optimistic and they're going to say five. They came in at four, actually, at 58.7%, 26% at three. So they're, you know, basically feeling like what? That's going to be Kuzmenko, uh, Patterson, and Miller. But there are some people that are saying, like Kyle here, saying seven. Woo! Seven. Does he name them? He didn't name them. He just said seven. I ain't fooling. Oh, no, he did list them. Pedersen, Miller, Kuzmenko, Besser, Mikheyev, Garland, and one of Hoaglander and Pod Coles. And that says Kyle. Uh, Nick in Perth, who's a regular submitter to our uh, podcast, says five. Petey, Miller, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Besser. I, 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 that's where I think I am right now. I think they're going to get five 20 goal scores this year. And I think that it's going to be one of either Mikheyev and Besser uh, that breaks through there. Petey, Kuzmenko, Miller, Besser, Kuz, and then Mikheyev, maybe Garland. But I think one of those guys. There'll be four for sure, but I think a fifth will, as long as they stay healthy. That'll be the case. You'll have five 20-goal scores, is what I'm saying. See, I, I think Beauvillier is important to be in this group because if he's going to be a trade chip, like I think the Vancouver Canucks want Anthony Beauvillier to have – uh, success. I think they want him to put up numbers. If he's going to play with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, then he's going to be put in a position to do so. Uh, power play formation is going to be fascinating. I mean, he came in, he kind of swapped right into Horvat's bumper spot. Didn't have a whole lot of success there. I think he scored three power play goals after the trade. So I don't know that he's the answer in the middle of the power play. And I think power play is going to be fascinating the way that they go about constructing what they want to do on their top unit. But but they need Beauvillier to have success because I don't think that he's going to be a long-term project for the Canucks. Like, I don't think they're looking to re-sign him, but if he has a good season, this is a guy that has had some playoff success, certainly has gone deep with the Islanders a couple of years, Eastern Conference final. You know, I, I think that there could be some interest there and that could be a trade chip that yields them, you know, the prospect or uh, a, a relatively high draft pick, whatever the case, a good season for Anthony Bavillier is important for the Vancouver Canucks. So I look at Pedersen, He's a match. Uh, Miller and Kuzmenko, I mean, again, providing they all stay healthy. But there's three for sure. Mikheyev was a 20-goal scorer in that final year uh, in Toronto. Wasn't 100% last year. I guess I I need to see. Like, that's such a serious injury, and I know that, you know, medical, the process now is refined to the point where guys come back from knee surgery and can still be successful. But... Uh, I wonder if there's going to be a struggle for him to, you know, find his legs and and get up to speed. And will it take the first 20 games or the first half of the season? You know, 20 feels like the top end for Mikheyev. I think uh, there are other eight ways that he can contribute, certainly on the penalty kill and being disruptive on the forecheck and all those types of things. I don't know that it necessarily comes with a ton of goals, but he has been a 20-goal scorer in the league. Besser should get you 20. I mean, the question is how many more than that? That's, you know, it's always going to be the question until uh, he shows that uh, he can be the 30-goal scorer that we've talked about forever. Garland, you know, he's got to show me, quite frankly. That's just kind of how I see it. If he's in a third-line role playing with Teddy Bluger, we know that he doesn't score a lot on the power play. Um, That's going to be a stretch. And then, you know, the wild cards are Pod Colson and, and Hoaglander and... If Pod Colson can get anywhere back to where he was in his rookie season, shooting the puck and scoring from distance, and you know, like, can he be a regular? 
uh, you know, 14 goals as a rookie and then the massive drop last year. And I know Rick Tockett said that he thought that Dakota Joshua could be a 20 goal scorer. I'm not convinced there. I just, I don't know that he plays enough in, in the right situations. And if he's going to be a fourth line guy, yeah, I just, I, boy, that seems like a stretch for me. So Patterson, Miller, Kuzmenko for sure. I'd like to think Beauvillier. I want to think Bessier, if he's here all year, he could be 20 as well. So there's five for me. And then it's a question of can somebody level up? And, you know, so I think seven seems like a stretch. I, I think I could make a case that if somebody catches fire, there could be six. Certainly we're not looking at anybody from the back end. They barely scored 20 as a group last year. Um, so I, I'm not including a defenseman with a big shot, but uh, I I would say five, and I think six is a possibility. Yeah, I think five is is is, is the number. I'm wondering though too with Mikheyev, like as we did talk about the the third line position. You kind of want to have that balance of someone that can you know be offensive but also be relied on defensively. Like I wonder if Mikheyev's best suited to play on, in a third line role and elevate someone like whether it is Garland or Hoagland or Pat Colson, because we do know that someone like Garland and Hoaglander in particular, like they have their warts defensively. Right. But so does JT Miller. And so did Brock Besser last year. And so in some ways, Mikheyev to me would stabilize that line. And if he can get back up to full speed, you know, drive play, get in on the four check, do the things that, you know, Rick Tockett wanted Besser to do. Um, you know, but we know that JT Miller's JT Miller. Like the, he played better under Tockett than he did under Bruce Boudreaux. But there's still going to be warts in his game. There's going to be turnovers. There's going to be missed assignments, and that's where maybe a guy like Mikheyev on that line, and he's got enough offense that you know he can contribute in the offensive zone. Oh yeah, I think he can play in the top six capacity. I just wonder if his skill set. And what they sort of lack, I just, you know. No, I hear you. But, like, if just for this argument we go, you know, Pedersen with Kuzmenko and Beauvillier, like, Miller and Besser together, could Garland elevate? I guess he could. But like that, to me, is a bit of a spotty second line. And then we talked about sort of what does the lower in the lineup look like. That's why I think Mikheyev, if he's completely healthy, and, and the hope is that he will be back to 100%, you know, we didn't see that last year. He got hurt in the preseason and tried to grind through with a torn ACL. You know, what does his speed look like? What does his speed allow the Canucks to do in terms of backing off defenders and those types of things? And then ultimately, you know, he's going to have to pick up his share of the penalty kill. And I know Rick Tockett was on 650 not that long ago, and he admitted that he's not going to back off Miller and Patterson entirely as penalty killers, but he said, i got to find some other guys. And that's where Ilya Mikheyev uh, and Teddy Bluger obviously could be, like, those two, they could be the first two over the boards, uh, you know, proven penalty killers in the National Hockey League who could be a pretty dynamic duo, actually. Uh, but a lot of that depends. I, I think it's pretty safe to say that Bluger is going to take on that role. Um, and then it's just a question of, you know, what do they get from Mikheyev and when do they get the real Ilya Mikheyev? You know, I I would expect that coming off the kind of surgery that he's had, like he can bust your ass all you want in the summertime, you know, training, he's going to need training camp. He's going to need reps. Preseason is going to be big for him. And it wouldn't surprise me if it took a little bit of time for him to get back up to NHL game speed. But, you know, for a team that uh, needs to get off to a good start, they can't have too many guys just dipping their toe in the water here. Like, uh, I hope that he is close to 100% and ready to go when training camp begins. You need to get a, off to a good start with your mortgage. 
when you start it, right? And you want to get off to a good start with Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage because he's our mortgage broker and he will be the first over the boards when it comes to getting you a good rate. Yeah, we always talk about good starts. He loves to talk hockey. So there you go. That's your natural win. You say, hey, I was listening to the guys on Rinkwide. They mentioned you. I'm in the market. I'm up for renewal, whatever the case. What do you think about the Canucks third line next year? And then you get right into it. And then, oh, by the way, uh, lots of volatility out there in the market. Let's get down to business here. So that would be my recommendation. Uh, but Jason loves his hockey. And so it's been a good fit here on Rinkwide. But yeah, uh, if you are in the market for a mortgage or you are up for renewal, or Jason always says as well, like, if you just want a second opinion on the mortgage that you've got, he's open to that conversation as well. So pick up the phone, give him a call, reach out his contact information on his very easy-to-remember website. You probably know it by now, jason.mortgage. That's it. There's no .com, no .ca. It's jason.mortgage, and that'll take you to Jason Hominick's landing page, and away you go. Reach out, make that phone call. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog. Make a play at Canvas Choice for free casino games, sports, odds, and poker strategies. Speaking of Bodog, Digging into some player props for next season, Jay Pat. As I, uh, you know, I love to bet a little bit here, and uh, of course, being that it's a Canucks podcast, well, let's keep it Canucks focused. Elias Patterson over under for goals next year. First of all, what do you think the line is set at for Elias Patterson? Uh, 40 and a half. Whoa, wow, wow, no, 35 and a half for Elias Patterson is the Ooh. line right now. So okay. I think you're taking the over if you're, if you're setting it at 40.5. I think he's going to score some more power play goals next year uh, for a guy that got to 40 this past season. I think that, uh, yeah, I, I, if 35 and a half, I, I, yeah, I'd go over. You're hammering that? Uh, yeah. At minus 15 either way. So it's almost uh, even money either way. But let's keep in mind here with Patterson. It's funny when you look at his stats, and of course last year just jumps off the page, but it really jumps off the page. Like he almost had a 40 point improvement uh, from his best season of uh, being 68 and 80 back in 21, 22 there, but uh, he scored 32 and then 39 goals. So yeah, the uh, trajectory is going that way, if you will, uh, with Elias Patterson, but right now Bodog's got him at 35 and a half. So if you're like J Pat, go over there, hammer the over at minus 115. You'll get minus 115 either way you go there uh, with Elias Patterson. There's a whole bunch of player props, by the way, in terms of goals, but the uh, only Canuck that they had on the page was Elias Patterson. A local product as well, Connor Bedard is up on a player prop. Which team will Connor Bedard score his first regular season NHL goal against? Now, of course, the Penguins are first on the schedule for Chicago uh, next year. Plus 190, J-Pat, for Bedard to score. To me... He's a big game player. 
Like, this is a guy that loves to score goals. It's making his debut in the NHL. To me, you run to Bodog and make that bet. He's scoring in game one against the Penguins. Yeah, I saw he was on with our friend Sakaris and Price earlier this week. The local boy on a local pod. So you might want to check that out for some summer listening. Uh, love the way the NHL's done that. Uh, that wasn't by accident. Uh, a little star power in that game. Sidney Crosby, uh, the old guard against uh, the new kid on the block, if you will. Uh, the old kid, Sid the kid, and, and the new kid in Connor Bedard. So, uh, great matchup on opening night. And you're right. I mean, that's what Connor Bedard does is score goals. Like, I'm sure he's going to be shooting from all over the place. Um, yeah. I mean, look, anybody that's bet against him <laughs> over his young hockey career, uh, they've probably come up on the wrong end of uh, those wagers. So, sure, why not? He's going to score and score a lot. May as well get it done on opening night. Yeah, I think he's probably up to the challenge. If you think he'll go 30 games or so without scoring, the 31st <laughs> game is against the Vancouver Canucks at plus 25,000. I'll tell you what, save your money. <laughs> he's he's, he's going to have a goal before that. But even game two, there's some good odds there as they face the Boston Bruins at plus 285. But to me, I just feel like Connor Bedard is going to get it done early at plus 190. They're almost getting two to one on your money. So head over to Bodog and place your bet. Back in the saddle. Summer podcast. Yeah, we'll yeah. be doing these like we said. We're only, we're only doing these now uh, weekly for you. But, uh, of course, once we finish this, you know the Canucks are going to make, like, some massive deal. No. <laughs> yeah. No, we're into the sleepy season now. Feels like it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know that the Canucks are completely done. I still imagine that uh, they would entertain some of those same trade conversations that they've had for months now. But I, I do think, like, hockey is so intense when you think about you know, the 82 games for the players, but also management. Like, there is no time off uh, during the season for management. You're looking to upgrade your team. You're doing your scouting meetings. You're looking at free agents, all that kind of stuff. I, I do think that managers now try to tie up all loose ends by the end of July so that August can, like, actually be, you know... A step away, yeah, you're going to have your phone with you, but recharge the batteries, spend a little family time, get out to the lake or whatever they do, and then hit the ground running on September or on September 1st. But there are still players out there. Like free agency, it's not dumb. Like there are guys that are going to find homes. Um, you know, will the Canucks be active in that regard? Who knows? But we've spent other pods talking about. You know, if they could find an upgrade on Teddy Bluger in that third line center position and bump Bluger down to a fourth line, you know, I still think that's something that they would look long and hard at. So, um, you know, I, I find it interesting. Uh, you know, we referenced an athletic article earlier. Uh, there was another one out just looking at, you know, how teams have fared sort of in this offseason so far. And then the Canucks were right in the middle of the pack. Like, I think they were 15th or 16th. You know, for a team that was so far below the playoff bar, having the middle of the pack offseason, you know, is that enough to make the jumps necessary? Uh, certainly, it kind of tells you what the rest of the league thinks of where the Vancouver Canucks are. So there's still plenty of work for this team to do. And as we've said, like so much of it, they, they didn't sign Game Breakers they address some needs with the guys that they brought in and Cole and Susie and Bluger. But, you know, if this team is truly going to advance the cause, it's going to be on Elias Patterson. It's going to be on Quinn Hughes. It's going to be on JT Miller. It's going to be on Thatcher Demko. So those guys were already in place. It's just a question of all of them, you know, either having the same kind of season they had last year in the case of Patterson and Hughes 
and for Demko, it's staying healthy and looking more like he did at the end of the season than he did at the beginning. And JT Miller is a bit of an interesting, you know, figure to me. The contract kicks in, and if he's going to start the center season at the second line center, no Bo Horvat here to insulate him. Uh, he's going to be a center throughout the year, and if he takes on matchups like. You know, that's not necessarily when he's at his very best. So there's going to be some work ahead for a guy like JT Miller as well. Right now, as you speak, uh, the Canucks are $4.2 million over the cap, but they have $5.7 million in LTIR candidates between uh, Pullman and Pearson. So that would leave them with about one point, just under $1.5 million uh, in cap space. So they're like, it, but it all depends really was we don't know what the, the future of Tanner Pearson or Tucker Pullman is going to be with the Vancouver Canucks. There's no guarantees uh, that they're not going to play right now. Still up in the air, right? So be interesting to see uh, how this sort of plays out for the Canucks. But you're right. I, I, I don't anticipate a whole lot happening, at least through August. Hockey people got to have some time off too, right? Right? They do. Just like you And do. I will say, well, exactly. And I will say I enjoyed it. Uh, tried to stay off social media for yes. the most part. I certainly wasn't active on Twitter. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're around. If something happens big time with the Canucks, obviously we're going to fire up the, the podcast machine and get after it. But, uh, yeah, for July and August, basically down to, to one a week. So we'll be around. We're not deserting you entirely. <laughs> And it'll give us a chance to sort of compile the stories of the week and then get after it. And, uh, you know, I, I we really haven't dug into the schedule. That's something yeah. that uh, at some point here in the summer, it, it, again, the, it's funny because I, I was looking a couple of years ago, the schedule came out like this week. Now the hockey world, the calendar was twisted through COVID. So maybe that was part of it, but you know, they released the schedule the day before the draft and it just gets buried in that. But uh, I think we'll, yeah, we can do an episode on looking at the schedule, some key games that we're looking forward to. You know, so there are a couple of things in the schedule that jumped out at me. So uh, we'll find things to talk about. We always do. And uh, yeah, no, uh, this will do it for this week's pod, but uh, we'll have another uh, sometime next week. Yeah, we asked the people about that as well. And we'll dig into that in, in, a, in a different episode here. Uh, before we get out of here, did you play every single golf course down in San Diego? Did you, did you check them all Not off quite. the box? I, uh, we, we played a fair bit of golf, uh, had a good run. Uh, there's some great golf down there. Didn't play Torrey Pines. I had a lot of people asking me, Tory Pines, they want 278 American oh, dollars wow. for non-San Diego residents. So you factor in Canadian, you're looking at close to like 350 to play uh, either. And is of it Tory one of those Pines. things where you're on a wait list too? Like, do you do you actually get a tea time or is it tea times are hard to come by? It's full, yeah, but I think most yeah. of it's local residents because they play it at like 70 bucks or something. Oh, you know, wow. this is a course that obviously they play the Farmers on every year. They played the yeah. U.S. Open not that long ago. Um, John Rahm won there, Tiger on one leg. Um, you know, it's an incredible property. We spent some time in Torrey Pines State Park hiking and drove past the golf course on a Saturday. It was packed. The range was packed. Uh, so people are out there paying and playing. I just think they're mostly locals and not uh, the schmucks that get uh, charged through the nose. But we found four incredible golf courses, uh, played with some great people down there, had a lot of fun. San Diego is an incredible place. Like uh, It had been about 10 years since I had been there, uh, sort of forgotten. Uh, and the last time we were there, uh, had the kids with us, and we'd see World and the zoo and Legoland and all the kids' amusement parks. They left the kids at home this year. Yeah, so uh, it was a grown-up vacation, and it was great. And San Diego offers everything Southern California – without being Los Angeles. Like you don't have to worry about uh, just that massive city feel. 
uh, direct flight from Vancouver. So, no, so I highly recommend San Diego as a vacation spot uh, for people that are looking for an easy getaway, two-and-a-half-hour flight direct from Vancouver. Uh, yeah, we had a good time. I'm going next year because the uh, Blue Jays are making their stop in San Diego. Ah, it's been on my yes. bucket list for so long, it. and I Absolutely. looked it up and the next Padres, year. Padres were out of town, unfortunately. It was the All-Star break, and then they started on the road after that. So uh, no ball games. Walked past Petco Park uh, one night. But uh, no, it uh, again, uh, that would make a great trip. Uh, get down there, check out some ball games, uh, great food, great. Just, yeah, it was awesome. Enjoyed it. Well, I'll be heading down to Seattle for Jay's weekend this weekend. So that's ah. when we, we take over down at T-Mobile. All right. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show. Bye.